Well, hello there, and welcome to the podcast where our goal is to remind you that amidst the chaos and craziness of the world today, there are still plenty of good things that are worth shouting about. In each episode of this podcast, we're going to be joined by nonprofit professionals, leaders, experts, and advocates to hear their stories, facilitate conversation and connection within the nonprofit sector, and hopefully put a smile on your face. We like that. I'm Matt Barnes. This is Nonprofit Connect. Let's share some good. Welcome to Nonprofit Connect. Welcome to the show. We're here. I'm Matt. That's <laughs> Tiffany. Oh, Hope. that was much better than last time. Last time there was a, a significant pause, pause there <laughs> Sorry. when I said, and that's, and then she just was like, mm. <laughs> hey, oh, Tiffany. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, I just had my coffee this morning. I'm getting into it. Okay. All right. Feeling well, good. Well, feeling better. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, <laughs> we're excited. So just so you know, listeners, we are way ahead on our recording of this podcast, like yeah. the interviews. And so that also means we are way behind on our recording of intros. Yeah. So we're recording <laughs> probably like eight or nine intros back to back right now. Yep. It's so, going to be It's going to be, yeah, it's going to be so interesting. we're going to probably run out of things to talk about really quickly. <laughs> but that's okay. It's what'd okay. You, what'd you have for breakfast this morning? What did I have for breakfast? Oh, This I is had, how bad it's gotten. No. Yeah, this, <laughs> this is bad. <laughs> I had an egg white omelet. Come on. Okay. I'm healthy. Okay. What did you have for breakfast? Let a, me guess. I had a Ice. big bar. And uh, some toast. Oh, yeah. we're moving on up in the world. I know, I know. From I ice. Know. I should have had my leftover pizza from last night. Okay, pizza for breakfast. Is amazing. So cold pizza. Good. I cold love cold pizza. pizza. I don't I heat it back up. Pizza. No. You just leave it like it. Cold. You know what else is really good cold is pasta. I love cold Agreed. pasta. Agreed. Sometimes I like it better than when it's fresh and hot. Okay, but with meat in it? No, no. Well, sometimes if it's chicken or something, but like... Yeah, a good like refrigerated pasta yeah. the next day. Okay. Is I can, tasty. I can do that. I make an awesome pasta. Do you? I do. Yes. It's like heart attack on a plate, but it's amazing. Okay, I have yet to try it. It's like tortellini, chicken tortellini Ooh. with with pink sauce. So you got the marinara and the alfredo. You've got sun-dried tomatoes and artichoke hearts. Wow. And it's amazing. And it's so good cold the next day. Wow. Like really really good. So, yeah. You, you like the most interesting thing, artichoke hearts? Oh, they're so good. They're delicious. So weird. Anyway, <laughs> that's not what we're here for. We're here to talk about nonprofits. Yeah, we're going to talk about good and, things. <laughs> and hear about people doing amazing things in the world, even more amazing than making my amazing pasta. <laughs> I feel really good when I make that pasta, but that's I think good. our guest today, Miriam Dix, she is the founder and CEO of 180 Management Group. And that's an organization that specializes in operational strategy and design for nonprofits. Mm. It's her and her husband, and they have a little team, but they're doing incredible work. And before starting 180 Management in 2014, Miriam spent a bunch of years in nonprofits and for-profit organizations. Her focus was always on operations and management. And per her website bio, her passion for operations is fueled by her belief that any organization can operate in excellent with the right tools for change. She wow. works with her husband. These people do a lot of stuff. Like if you, wow. we'll talk about it a little bit, but then also a few weeks from now, a few episodes from now, I'm also interviewing her husband. Wow. Which again, since we're so ahead, cool. I've already done that interview and it was so cool to get both perspectives. Per yeah. But they're just really cool people, man. And if you need help in the management area, these guys are freaking rad. I just love them. So Miriam's here. And she's going to talk about transforming the culture of organizations and 
She's awesome. So you're going to really, really enjoy this. And we will be back with Miriam Dix of 180 Management Group right after this brief message. Bye-bye. Bye. We are brought to you by Rogue Creatives. I started Rogue Creatives in 2016 because I saw so many people doing amazing things like life-changing work. And either they're spending all their time trying to figure out how to connect with people and get their story out there instead of doing what they love, what they got into it to do, and what they were good at. Or they ignored all that and they just did what they loved, but not enough people knew about them or nobody knew about them. Even worse. My background is in education and organizational leadership. When I was doing my master's in education, I learned that the best way to educate someone, to connect their heads and their hearts, is through story. In my organizational leadership program, I learned how to help an organization define its character, its voice, its values, its personality. So I took the best of those and I combined them to create the strategic storytelling framework that we use at Rogue Creatives to define an organization's character so that we could tell their story while freeing the organization up to do what they do best. We've helped dozens of nonprofits define their personalities and increase their reach as they bring new donors and volunteers into their stories. And as you well know, more donors means more money, means more people getting the help that they need. And that means the world's becoming a better place because of the character in your story. So get started today by visiting roguecreatives.com slash NPC. That's NPC for Nonprofit Connect. And schedule a free brand consultation and take our free online brand character quiz. That's roguecreatives.com slash NPC to begin defining your brand character today. There's no commitment or risk for you at all. And come on, don't you want to meet us? We're super fun, I promise. Rogue Creatives. Seriously, creative storytelling. Okay, enough from me. Back to me and our guest. All right. I'm here with Miriam. And thanks for being here today, Miriam. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah. Love meeting new people and getting different perspectives. So people, our listeners won't know this, but this has been, as you said, when we were talking before, a long time in the making. We've had yes <laughs> scheduling snafus and whatnot. So I'm very, I'm excited to actually finally meet you and <laughs> get to talk to you. Same here. We always start with three random questions to kind of break the ice. So I have a long list of random questions and then we randomly choose three of them. So are you ready for that? I'm ready. Okay, here we go. What did you have for breakfast today? I actually had brunch, and it was a veggie omelet with crab cakes. Ooh, fancy. <laughs> <laughs> I like to cook, so I was like, I haven't been home. I've been on the road traveling. I'd rather have something home-cooked and looking in the freezer. Now, listen, I haven't been grocery shopping, so that was kind of what was left. <laughs> <laughs> so you made that yourself? That's impressive. I did. I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that if my life depended on it. That's impressive right there. All right. A TV show that takes you to your happy place. Well, I am currently watching a Marvel series. Like, I'm a Marvel fan, so all the movies. And so on Disney, when they have the little short series that are like, kind of fill you in between movies, I am watching one of those now. So that's my happy place. Uh, Sci-fi type fictional things. We're on the same page there. Yeah. Yeah, for (laughs) sure. Which series are you watching right now? Miss Marvel, because the Marvel's just came out. And I was like, oh, I missed the little filler because it was a little series on Miss Marvel, the youngest character. And I was like, oh, let me go back and watch that. So that's what I'm watching right now. It's really good and educational, too, about a lot of the, what is it, the partition from in India and Pakistan and all. That. Like, I didn't know a lot of that history. I wasn't expecting to get a big history lesson from a Marvel show, but that was probably the most educational thing I had last year. <laughs> 
Exactly. So my husband watched it while I was out of town. He's like, you have to watch it. He said, if nothing else, for the historical reference. <laughs> I was like, really? Yeah, they did a great job. All right. If you could wake up anywhere in the world tomorrow, where would it be? Somewhere on a beach. There you go. <laughs> Somewhere where I can hear the waves crashing and feel the sun and simultaneously a little breeze. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah for <laughs> sure. Do you have a favorite beach? Do you have a favorite like one in mind? I'm in South Carolina. Hilton Head is always a good place to go. I've never been, but I've heard of it. I've heard it's beautiful. Yeah, Hilton Head is beautiful. And, you know, it's not as busy as some of the other beaches, but Hilton Head would be nice. All right. <laughs> well, okay. We'll keep the superhero theme going then. And let's get your origin story. Who are you? How did you get to where you are? And what are you doing? So my transformation process, right, that brought me here. Yeah. <laughs> I actually started, I cut my teeth in the healthcare world and healthcare admin. I went to school for healthcare administration. I just knew I'd be a COO at a hospital at some point in my life, even though that's not the trajectory that I'm <laughs> on. <laughs> but I cut my teeth in management, operations management in that world specifically in the mergers and acquisition space. I started working at the hospital several, several years ago when hospitals were still buying up a lot of physician practices. You see that you can go to your doctor's office and they were independent. Now, if you go to the doctor's office, they're owned by someone. And so I was a part of that process of acquiring those practices and bring them into the hospital system. And what that did was it gave me an eye for really going into an organization and assessing it to determine what's going to make that organization successful because we were trying to integrate them into a new business model. And so I was doing some of the due diligence, if you will, on the acquisition side, the operational due diligence. How many staff do they have? What are their... Uh, packages, employment packages look like, what kind of equipment do they use, all those sorts of things to help you identify what the business model is and how it's being run and how we can make it efficient. And so that gave me an operational eye. And I had to, at one point, decide to leave the organizations I was working for. I was doing a lot of traveling. I was consulting. I was covering four states, 12 hospital systems. And I had young kids at home. And it got to be a little bit much. And the market was a little unstable. I could tell that some of my markets were going to be sold off, which meant my job would change. And so I thought, how can I take my skill set and use it effectively as a consultant on my own? And that's how I launched 180 Management Group back in 2014. So we'll be 10 years old in February of next year. And it hasn't been without its ups and downs. <laughs> I started as a healthcare consulting firm and realized that there wasn't enough healthcare work at the level that I was working at to really make a dent. And so I used my operational skill set to really pivot into working with organizations who really need the structure, who really need to make their operations more efficient. And when the pandemic hit, it was the door opened because a lot of nonprofits were not structured appropriately for the type of work that needed to be done during the pandemic and post-pandemic remote work specifically, and organizational structure in general. And so that's how I entered into the nonprofit space. All right. So do you work primarily with nonprofits or do you work with a wide variety of organizations? Right now, the majority of organizations I'm working with are nonprofit. But because of my healthcare background, I will work with healthcare organizations. I'll also work with small businesses and also faith-based institutions. My husband and I are planted a church. <laughs> in your spare time. <laughs> yeah, in our spare time, you know, we work in ministry. And so I've been a pastor's wife for the 21 years that we've been married, but I'm also ordained clergy as well. So we kind of work together. Typically, he's senior pastor. I'm executive pastor. I do all the COO functions for the church. 
So that's how we work together. <laughs> that's your skill set. That's great. I literally just had a meeting with a friend who is much younger than I am, and she's mid-20s and trying to figure out, oh, what's next? And I'm like, you're at the perfect age to start like trying different things and going, okay, how can I use these different skills that I've had and these things that I've learned in a unique way? And things will come up that you don't expect because you start seeing like, oh, wait, I know how to do that. And this other thing that seems unrelated, but you put them together and actually I can do this thing over here. And it sounds like that's a lot of what you've done. You've seen a need and taken skills from different areas that you've gathered to put them to use. Yeah. And I was just at a training event this past week, getting certified as a Standards for Excellence consultant, which is a program that really is geared toward making sure that there's a standard that nonprofit organizations can achieve to really keep everyone above board and compliant and ethically astute <laughs> and all those sorts of things. And came to realize, and I had this conversation, is that a multilingual. So you could take one core business term and it could be the jargon for each of these industries could be different, but we're talking about the same thing. So in the nonprofit space, we could talk about capacity building. But if I'm talking to a small business owner, I'm going to talk about scalability because it's just the nuance in the term depending on the industry. So I told someone, I said, I'm creating this lexicon of all these terms that I would normally use in the healthcare industry, what that means in the faith-based industry or sector, what that means in you know general nonprofit sector, and what does that mean for small business? And someone said, you would make a lot of money off of that. I bet, because <laughs> you know how often I go into situations in an area that's slightly different than mine or whatever it might be, and somebody's using some term, and I'm going, yeah, yeah, and I have no idea. What, and then I come to realize, oh, yeah, they're talking about something I know about in my we use a different term for that or whatever it might be. But people don't want to feel dumb, so they don't say it. They just go, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I know, yeah, totally. And then you don't realize. So I could definitely see the value in that. Yeah, translating. Teach Google to translate that as well. And uh... <laughs> Exactly, exactly. I mean, it's just, it's just one of those things. And this would be the advice, right? If someone's listening and you're thinking about how can I use my skill set in a different way, and you might be trying to break into a different industry, do that kind of research, you know, figure out what the terms are they're using most often in that industry, figure out what resonates with you and how you can integrate that into your practice or whatever you're trying to accomplish. Because to me, that's been the most helpful way of bridging the gap into a new sector. Yeah. And I mean, that's true on a larger scale from different industries, but even just within different organizations, part of my background is organizational leadership. And one of the things that you identify pretty quickly is every organization has its own culture and they start to use terms and you quickly forget how specific your language can become. And somebody comes in and they're like, what are you talking about? You know, and learning to embrace that, but then also make sure that you people can come in and be a part and find that balance of having a culture, but also being open. And it's a challenge, especially as you're working with others. So what I typically do, and I think this sort of helps us set the foundation pretty early as I say, okay, we're going to come in and do this work. This is what that means so that we can set the foundation of have a common language because culture is shared beliefs, practices, right? And behaviors. And so when we're talking about how it is that I can come in and be effective within the organization, it very much has to be established at the very beginning. What is it that we do and how is it that impacts you? And let's make sure we have the same set of language that we're using. So in terms that we're using so that we know we're moving in the same direction. And so that's how we kind of get into that culture piece, because when we talk about culture, culture is such a broad, like a word that has broad meaning. So if you say we're into changing and transforming culture, people were like, 
I'll say, so what do you mean when you say culture, right? <laughs> because it can be interpreted so many different ways. It can. I mean, you could be talking about the culture of this organization. You could be talking about the culture of this neighborhood or your actual culture that you come from. And it could be so many different things. And people use that word interchangeably so often that sometimes you think you're on the same page and then you realize, oh, no, you're talking about something else. (laughs) Right. So we come in because we consider ourselves a boutique operations consulting firm, operations management consulting firm. We define what we mean by operational culture. So we say, okay, we are going to help you transform your operational culture. What does that mean? That means we look at how people work together. Do you have an org chart? Is their responsibility sort of divided up amongst people? We look at how people do their work. Do you have processes and policies for how work is being done? And then we look at how work informs your strategy. So from the work that you're doing, do you have reporting or metrics that you're looking at so that it informs your strategy? It's not all anecdotal. So when we say operational culture, that's what we're talking about. Those three aspects of working culture, how people work together and get their work done. And I think when we say that, it makes it clear, oh, this is what you mean. Now, In the midst of doing the work, right, when we do an assessment or we're trying to come up with a strategy or solution to help transform that culture, we might find things that are embedded shared beliefs, embedded shared practices and behaviors that we have to address in order to make progress. But we come in saying we're looking at the work. It's not as offensive. Doesn't seem as scary. Doesn't seem as intrusive. But then we can get to sort of the underpinnings of what makes the organization, I should say, tick so that we can address it and move it forward. But yes, we have to like set the narrative. We have to make sure we are talking about defining culture in a way that everyone can be on the same page with that. Yeah. And are most of your clients smaller nonprofits or larger nonprofits? Do you find who needs it more? We work with nonprofits that are in the midst of a growth spurt. That's usually when people come to you, right? Managing change because of growth. I did a lot of work with people years ago where it was as organizations grow, they tend to let go of a lot of the values that they had when they started because size and management and the things that made them unique and special, the culture. And then suddenly they're like, wait, what happened to those things that were important to us? And helping them realize it may look different. The what and the how might look different, but you can still hang on to those values and help them put systems in place to hold those things. But it's when that growth happens, it's very challenging. And that's where they show up and they're like, wait, something's happened. We're not the people we used to be. We were small and these things worked for us. And now they're not working for us anymore. And so we say growth puts pressure on your existing systems, right? So whatever systems, your skeleton, whatever you had, your structure that you had when you first started really morphed. And a lot of times when you're going starting from sort of this grassroots sort of effort, It is a hodgepodge of things that you put together that works at the moment. But then at some point, all these different pieces we've added on over time, we really have to go back and make sure that the structure itself can hold. It has the capacity for the additional growth that you're putting on that system. And I tell people all the time, it's like, I don't know you do, but I do. I watch a lot of those like HGTV shows and the folks who are buying the home and getting the home renovated. They get upset because they're spending so much money on foundation and so much money on electrical and things behind the wall that you can't see. And they really wanted the pretty deck and they wanted the nice fireplace. But then they don't realize that all of that is just the facade. Like if you don't have behind the walls and underneath the floor, (laughs) a strong foundation, good pipes, all that pretty stuff will be destroyed. (laughs) So we have to do that. That's so true in so many areas. I mean, my agency, we do creative work and do a lot of branding and marketing and that type of thing and a lot with nonprofits and helping them realize that a lot of times they'll come to us, oh, we need this campaign or we need this thing, but 
we realize you don't have a strong foundation to build those things on. Like you have to have a strong foundation of assets and story and to be able to do an effective campaign or it doesn't work. And it's just a principle across the board of making sure that you have that foundation, those things behind the walls that you don't see, the the solid, to make sure that you can accomplish your goals because otherwise you think you have it because it looks good, the facade's there, but you're like, why isn't it working? Something's not right. It's not working right. On the other side of that, like if you were to initiate this campaign and it does bring you a lot of attention, it does maybe increase your clients or the folks that you're serving or whatever the case may be. Maybe you have more donors than you ever had before. Well, if you don't serve them well, so what are the systems that you have in place to be able to take care of that growth in a way that doesn't put you in a bad position, right? It doesn't impact you negatively when you do see that growth happening because you've done such a great job on this marketing campaign, right? So there's a lot of different pieces that go along with making sure you can provide service well, not just attract it. (laughs) So not to try to put you out of business, but what would you tell somebody with a smaller nonprofit who is hoping to grow so that they can put systems into place or avoid some of those pitfalls? Like, what are some of the things that they could do now to make those transitions a little smoother? Well, one is make sure you're not throwing bodies at a problem. Because when you're small, you don't want to just hire, hire, hire just to get work done. You may be able to leverage different types of software applications to get work done and hiring people to do the work. So that creates this opportunity for you to scale differently. So it's more expensive to hire someone and pay for not just their salary, but their benefits. (laughs) If there's a solution that may cost you $50 a month and it saves you maybe 0.5 in FTE, or if there's an opportunity for you to outsource something that doesn't come with benefits and, you know, all the other fringe benefits that come with having a salary or a staff member. So I would say, let's look at what the work is that you're actually doing and figure out what the plan is to get the work done so that we aren't just reinventing the wheel by doing something that we know has others have tripped up on, have not been successful, were not able to grow because they had too much administrative overhead. And that also helps with making sure that when you're looking at the work that needs to be done according to the strategy that's based on your mission, throw that in there, (laughs) that we are identifying right size, right fit, because that's where turnover happens mostly. So even as a small organization, you don't want to have a lot of turnover because you don't get to build the foundation well. So if you can avoid having a lot of turnover because you have overwhelmed folks with a lot of work to do, it's not right size, right fit job, then that's what you want to do. So it's really about resource utilization when you're small. How do you use resources in such a way where you can remain nimble and scalable and be able to get the work done that needs to be done at that moment? Yeah, it's about finding that balance. And I think this is true for for for-profits or nonprofits, but people that I work with often, I find that, especially in the nonprofit space, nonprofit space, I feel like I more often find people who are not hiring enough and people are overwhelmed and they're burnt out and they're taking on too much. And a lot of times in those times, it's either you got to figure out how to hire more people if you want to do all these things, or you need to scale back and grow more intentionally and say no to some things for now, and which is so hard, especially for people who are so passionate about what they do and they don't want to say no to opportunities like, oh, we could do this and we can fix that. And we can. And it's like, you, what's your mission? What's your why? And let that define and grow 
at a more scalable pace. And with for-profits, I find more often it's, yeah, hiring too much too fast and then like, wait, you can outsource some of this stuff and let's take it easy. But finding that balance in there is rough. It's a hard place to be. Yeah. And so on the for-profit side, we would talk about scope creep. So there's this idea that you could have a singular, let's say, vision, mission or you know, that you're trying to accomplish, but because you see all these different opportunities, you start widening your scope and then you find that you're kind of way out there as to what you were supposed to be doing initially. And in the nonprofit space, we'll hear all these wraparound services, right? So that's the term that I hear most often is that, yeah, this is our core, but we have some wraparound services that would just really go well with our core mission. And then the next thing you know, they have more wraparound than they do core. And so you really have to be careful about making sure that the mission is the mission and we aren't chase shiny things. Yes. Oh my gosh. I can't tell you. I love them. God bless them all. But how often we have nonprofits come to us that go, we need help with messaging and figuring out how to communicate what it is we do. And they sit there and they tell us all about their core things. And we're like, okay, well, this we can help you simplify it. But also we have this and this and this, and they're like completely unrelated but they want it to be related. And I mean, you can see how they got there, but that should be its own organization. You know, that kind of thing where you're like, how do we simplify this? And yeah, it's a tough place to be. It is. And talking to several executive directors and CEOs of nonprofits, they really face a very real issue or challenge when it comes to funding. So if the nonprofit gets the vast majority of its funding from a government or federal grant or some sort of a government grant, or government money, then they're sort of at the mercy of the government to renew that. And so they're thinking about, okay, what other services can we provide so that we aren't left high and dry if we don't have this opportunity to renew a particular grant or some kind of funding? And I can totally appreciate that, that you're thinking outside of the box as to like, how is it that we can continue to keep this organization running? But I do think that there's an opportunity for our nonprofit leaders to be thinking about those different options, but still remaining true to the core of the organization. And even if you are thinking about starting a nonprofit, one of the things that comes up often is, and I would suggest too, to think through, is one, is there an opportunity to partner with someone who's already doing what you're doing so that you're not creating another duplicate <laughs> service? So partnerships and alignment work well, but even when you are visioning for what that organization is going to do, to not have it based solely off one particular funding source, so that you always have these different streams of revenue that you're looking to gain. Even though I know that saying streams of revenue is more of a for-profit term, it's still applicable and that you have different types of funding sources for your nonprofit. So be thinking about that when you start it. And that is, I mean, I feel like I've been on this mission for a long time of, I'm sure you've heard of Dan Pallotta and he did a TED talk a while ago. He's got a book, but it's, I mean, his whole thing was starting the conversation of nonprofits need to think a little bit more like for-profits. If the Fortune 500 companies ran themselves the way that we are told to run nonprofits, they'd all go out of business. There's this idea that nonprofits shouldn't have any overhead. They shouldn't do marketing. And it's like, no, the most successful nonprofits are the ones that actually invest in themselves. But they end up in these places a lot of times where because they have one major donor or they have one major source of funding, that ends up dictating so many things. They have opportunities that they can't take because that one person or that one source of funding says, no, I'm, I'm going to pull my funding if you do that. 
And it's just not a safe or healthy place to be, but there's that fear of we can't do it without them. And so I've been encouraging a lot when working with smaller nonprofits, encouraging them to start with like explaining the benefits of unrestricted giving and really embracing those types of things and making sure they have a diverse stream of income because otherwise you end up in these places where, I mean, we did a whole rebrand for a nonprofit and then one of their biggest funders found out about it before we launched it. And they came in and said, oh, if you change the name of the nonprofit, I'm pulling my funding. And so we had to cancel it all because they were like, we'd be gone without this one person. And so it's a tough place to be. It is. And equally as tough is trying to build your nonprofit off of what funds are available next. Then you're chasing different grants and that's going to morph the type of organization that you have because majority of funding, especially government funding, is going to come with strings attached, which means you have to run it a certain way. The program's a certain way. You have to report certain things. And now you're looking at 10 different ways of running your organization because you have 10 different funders who have 10 different requirements. That's not fun either. <laughs> no. I think to me, the one of the big messages here, and tell me if you agree with this, but for people starting nonprofits, like to really stop and think this through, <laughs> because I think a lot of people think, oh, I'm just trying to do this thing. I'm going to fill out the application and start my own nonprofit. It's going to be great. And then they end up in this quagmire. They don't realize how difficult it actually is to run a nonprofit successfully and to actually help people that way. And to your point, not taking the time to even find out, is there somebody else in your area that's already addressing that problem that you could team with, that you could partner with? And then you end up with duplicate stuff. But most nonprofit, small nonprofits start with somebody who's really passionate about one thing and they know how to do that one thing. And then it's like, oh, man, how do I do all this other stuff? <laughs> yeah, part of it is, like you said, the vast majority of it is this is the result. that starting of a nonprofit is the result of a passion project. I'm not necessarily a business person, but I have the passion. So we're going to figure it out as we go along. And then at some point, we have to realize that you have an EIN <laughs> and you have to deal with money. And you have risk and compliance measures that you need to have in place. You have a business. What makes it not-for-profit is the tax designation. It is still a business. So if that's you, if you're out there and you're like, okay, yeah, I started that way, it's okay because someone needs to have the passion. But just know where you need the support in running the business. And I think that's where where we can have the most impact, especially as consultants and those who are here with the business mindset to help move the organization forward is we're supporting the ones who are out there doing the work every day. I don't have to have a passion for everyone's vision because one, I'll be burnt out. <laughs> right? I just can't have a passion for every client's organization the way that they have the passion. But I can be passionate about you as the leader of that organization. Who is taking care of you as you take care of the community? And so you need that support and it's okay. And I think sometimes we maybe struggle with the imposter syndrome. Like I made it to where I am, but I don't want anyone to know that I don't really know what to do next, or I don't really know how to feel about where we are. And maybe your staff is not the right people to tell that to, right? <laughs> but it's okay that you feel that way. Just get the help you need when you need it. And I think that's where we probably have more opportunity as nonprofit professionals to really grow. 
and grow our organizations. And I say we because I'm on the other side. I'm both ends. So as an executive pastor, I understand fundraising. I understand volunteer management. I understand all those things, right? <laughs> because I have to live that life. But on the other side of being a management consultant, I also understand the structure of business. And so I'm able to marry those things together and really understand the pain points of those who are on the other side of the fence. I'm just so impressed and thrilled that you have chosen to take all of that experience and combine those things for people to benefit from because it is, it's hard to find people who understand both sides of that and can help guide people who maybe on one or the other to find that balance and to figure out their way forward. So I'm so happy to hear about what you're doing and want to make sure that people find you if they need you. Where can people find you? So we are really trying to leverage LinkedIn first and foremost. Like, yes, you can go to our website, which is 180-180-managementgroup.com, 180-managementgroup.com. You can go to our website and that's where you can schedule initial consultation, do all those things. But we also want to provide resources. And so those resources, if you want resources, those will be found on our LinkedIn. So we have the 180 Management Group LinkedIn page. And if you want to find me specifically, you can. I think it's Miriam P. Dix. Don't try to quote me on that. At least put Miriam Dix in there. You'll find me. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Cool. Well, we got some closing questions for you. Just kind of rapid fire. What's the one thing that makes you feel most connected? Wow. That's a good one. The first thing that came to mind is family. We have three young adult children. They're all in college. And when they come home, we can sit around the dinner table and have just some great conversations because they're older and they can appreciate how they were raised now. <laughs> so. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. I've got five, six and under. So <laughs> we've got a long way to go before that happens. But that's awesome. Yeah, our oldest is graduating from college next month. So yeah, so we're excited about that. But being connected for me, it's about conversation. Like I have great connection with you today because of the conversation. We can really agree on some things and just really be inspired by each other. But I connect through conversation. That's just kind of who I am. <laughs> I'm the exact same way. It's so funny. This is kind of an aside, but when I first had kids, I sort of had trouble feeling connected to them as infants because they couldn't communicate. <laughs> with, but as soon as they start talking, all of a sudden I'm like, oh, you know, and I have this connection with them. And like the first ones, I was kind of scared because I'm like, oh, my gosh, do I not have that ability to like be a dad like and connect? And then all of a sudden they start and I'm like, I'm, I'm in like it's the best because I'm a talker. <laughs> That's when it all because then you can see their personalities really start to shine through when they start talking. So, oh, yeah, it's the best. Um, who in the world of nonprofits would you most like to take to lunch? Joan Gary. Joan Gary has a podcast called Nonprofits Are Messy. So as I was transitioning into this nonprofit space, trying to learn more about nonprofit culture, she's written several books. She's been a consultant in the nonprofit space. I mean, she's just done a lot of work in the nonprofit world, building boards, the whole nine. And so just to have lunch with her and she has a very quirky way of talking about it, obviously, with her the title of her podcast being <laughs> they're messy and being OK saying that. Like, I wouldn't want to say that, you know, as a consultant, uh, <laughs> but she says it. And I think that would just be such a great conversation to have with her over lunch. So that's awesome. All right. Last one. What aspect of your job brings you the most joy? Watching a nonprofit leader, like watching the light bulb go off and the stress level come down. Yes. So we're having a conversation or we put in a plan in place and they start to see the attraction and you can see some of the anxiety kind of lifting off of them. 
and they feel like this is where we need to go. This is the direction. We're on the right path. We're going in the right direction. And I feel confident that we're going to get there. Just seeing that happen for clients is really what drives me to do this work. That's awesome. Miriam, thank you so much for being here. 180 Management Group. Look Miriam up because I think you probably need her help if you're listening to this. That's just my feeling. I feel like you need Miriam. We all need some more Miriam in our lives. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much. (laughs) All right. Thanks for being here. Uh, We'll talk later. Thanks. All right. Sounds good. Okay. Bye-bye. And my friends, that is a wrap for today. If you made it this far, and I don't know why you wouldn't, it's pretty awesome. Thank you so much for listening to Nonprofit Connect. We cannot tell you how much we appreciate it because we really appreciate it a lot. And it's hard to say that really well. We really would like it, though, if you came back for our next episode. Only if you liked it, obviously. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you use and visit our website, npconnect.roguecreatives.com. Hopefully we've managed to share insights to make you feel connected and even a smidge better about your life and the world and everything. Are our goals too high? Maybe. But that's how we like things. All right. You have yourself a great day. Bye-bye. Nonprofit Connect with Matt Barnes is hosted and executive produced by me, Matt Barnes, with an assist by my chaos coordinator, Tiffany Pope. Production is by our amazing friends over at Fame, the B2B podcast agency, along with Belinda Carter-Thompson and the team here at Rogue Creatives. Production lead is Luke Audi at Fame. Writing is by Sam Hollis at Fame and Matt Barnes and Taylor Bolanos from Rogue Creatives. Nemanja Koljaja of Fame is our audio editor and Arslan Yakub from Fame is our video editor. Creative direction is by Corey Hill of Rogue. Our artwork is designed by Hope Kelly and Joshua Marino at Rogue and Ian Salas of Fame. Theme music is composed and performed by Jared Atherton of Chapters. Luke Audi of Fame does our booking and our guest relations. Huge thanks to our amazing guests for joining us for this episode and to all of you incredible listeners for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, and I don't know why you wouldn't have, don't forget to help us spread some good by giving us a good review. Preferably, you know, five stars with lots of words saying how amazing we are on whatever platform you're listening on. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever it is. Also, tell your friends and subscribe so we can come straight into your potholes each and every time we have a new episode. For more information about Nonprofit Connect or to join us at a live event here in Orange County, California, visit our website, npconnect.roguecreatives.com. We'll catch you next time. This has been a Rogue Creatives production. 